Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. We're all trying to be better. We are. You always assume positive intent. And a lot of people don't know how to hire people with disabilities, or they don't understand how complex the mission is. They want to produce product and get it to shelf. But guess what? If you do that with a company like ours, you can actually change more lives. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. Today's interview has all the feels. Puppies, students overcoming odds, two devoted special education teachers who wanted to make sure their students would be successful after graduating. All that and Ashton Kutcher. You'll see. Angie and Kyle Gallus are the founders of Finley's, makers of oven-baked, all-natural dog treats with a higher purpose, to create paid employment opportunities for people with disabilities, while dedicating 50% of net profits to initiatives like employment training, accessibility, and advocacy. Today, you'll find Finley's on the shelves at select Target stores, Chewy.com, and a growing number of grocers nationwide. It's a great time to be scaling a dog treat brand. Pet industry revenue reached a record $103 billion in 2020, as so many of us adopted pets while staying home during the pandemic. But even as Finley's grows by leaps and bounds, Kyle and Angie never lose sight of where it all started, in the classroom. So we actually met, we taught together um, at Edina Middle School, um, oh gosh, six, seven years ago. Um, so he was another teacher in the building and um, we worked together with a couple of our students. And uh-huh. so that's where, where it all began. We, uh, I actually roped him into doing some um, adjunct work with me. I was an adjunct professor for Concordia mm. and we needed somebody to help us out with um, the EBD emotional behavior side of the special, edu- um, special education classes. And so I was like, I know a guy. <laughs> and so. And, and was there like a little bit of an ulterior motive there? Were you thinking this might be a guy you'd want to date? Or did you really just think he had the right skill set? Uh, not at the moment, because <laughs> I was actually just going through a divorce. Okay. And so um, when I met Kyle, um, I was just ending that. And so, no, I mean, I just knew he was a really funny guy. And, and you know, we had taught a lot together and had some shared students. And I'm like, he was he's he was really good at his job, mm-hmm. um, and I knew he'd be really good at this position. And so I was like, "Hey, want to make some extra money?" <laughs> I I should add something into that too. Uh, yes, the extra money was great, but there was also this compassionate human who I'm like, I could learn something from this woman, and I don't know what, but it's all these different things. I'm like, she's really compelling. Like, okay, she's you know special ed teacher. She's also doing adjunct professor, raising two kids. I'm like. I think I need that in my life. Okay, let's let's see what happens here. I'll I'll show up to do this whole adjunct professor thing, see how it goes, and you learn a lot in that. And naturally, over time, when we 
you know, would talk to each other and, and converse on, okay, what's going on in your class? What's going on with your students? And, you know, just getting tips, it just kind of naturally grew into what you see today, a much greater relationship. And now we're married and running <laughs> this company and it all worked out. So Kyle, were you also a special ed teacher? Yeah, I was a special ed teacher. I've done uh, K through 12 okay. in, my, in my career, mostly emotional behavioral disorders. And so. for both of you, was teaching something you always wanted to do? Yep. For me, um, from the get-go, I when I was younger in high school, I always volunteered and helped with students that had disabilities in my high school. And I just, I don't know, I've always just had a heart for working with them. And um, I, I just kind of knew I kind of was torn between um, speech language pathologist and then special education teacher and ended up going that route. And mm-hmm. so for 21 years, kind of like Kyle, I've been kind of at every level, elementary all the way up to mm-hmm. adjunct professor. Um, and so it's been really fun to actually work at all the different levels and yeah. see the differences. What important work. And Kyle, what mm-hmm. about you? Did you always want to be a teacher? Gosh, I love this because no, um, <laughs> I had no intention of being a teacher. I, I thought, how do they do it? was always a question. As I was a kid, Growing up in high school, I did some mentoring at the local elementary school. And I just remember I loved the kids, but I couldn't understand how to do curriculum, all those extra things that these teachers do. So I'm like, you know what? I never want to do that. (laughs) Went to college, um, you know, was ready to major in like six different things. Really didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Uh, Got a sociology degree, came out of college. I was caddying at um, Interlocking Country Club Mm -hmm. here in the Twin Cities. And one of the members happened to be a special ed teacher, and she looked at me and she said, I think you would actually be really good at special education. Have you thought about it? And I was like, you know, I thought about it, and it just doesn't sound like the path for me. She said, I want you to really think about it. Come to this intro to the special education program at St. Thomas and Mm -hmm. just give it an hour. Went, did that hour, was hooked. I was like, you know what? I can do this. I want to do it. Went and got my teaching degree uh, and then entered the teaching field. That's amazing. You know, a lot of people do deals on the golf course. I've never heard of somebody becoming a special ed teacher on a golf course. You know, I've learned a lot. The golf course is, has ta- almost taught me more than school. Um, probably the first deal closed to become a teacher in the history of golf. Yeah, um, that's impressive. So uh, the legend goes that both of you were teaching and looking for some kind of product for your students. Talk about how you came up with dog treats. Yeah, so that actually goes back a long way. Um, I actually went to a workshop um, a long time ago, and um, it was there was a middle school that was making dog treats in their classroom. And I remember at that time, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally want to do this with my students. But at that time, I wasn't in a school where I had access to a kitchen or um, even my students. I didn't have enough help to have me do this. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward a few years, I was at the high school level. And I realized at that moment, I'm like, okay, these guys have two years of school left, and they do not have the skills that they're going to need when they get out of school for a job. Hmm. And um, it just so happened that um, our district had opened a second high school. And so when that all shifted, I had an extra fax room upstairs above my head. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I think the time's right. I I still want to do this. I wonder if I could pull it off. And so I wrote an, a grant through Ed Minnesota, actually, and that's how I was able to get all of our mixers and equipment. And um, I started this little business within the high school, and we would bake three days a week in that extra kitchen. And then the other two days, we'd package them up and go deliver them throughout the school. 
And um, on the other two, on the other days, we'd work on, you know, a time card and what does that look like? And I did like mock interviews with them and just practicing all those skills. They so were it was need. like they had a real job. Yeah. They were making dog treats. Mm-hmm. And did they love it? They they totally loved it. And the school smelled amazing. Really? <laughs> what was in your dog treats? Uh, peanut butter pumpkin. Uh-huh. All of, you know, some of the, actually, the recipes we do now are still our original recipes. And so um, the people would be like, who's making peanut butter cookies all the time? And so... Yeah, why why dog treats? Why not cookies or something for humans? Because I knew like almost every single one of my students had a dog. Mm-hmm. And we did like a survey. I was like, what do you guys think of these different things? And dog treats just was, yeah, we want to make dog treats. And it's fun. And people relate to their pets. And their, their pets are so special to them. Yeah. And so it was easy. It was just a choice we made. And so I just literally found our recipes and we got all of our stuff. And then all the treats that we sold helped pay for all of our ingredients. And then it also helped fund like any extra field trips we wanted to take as a class. Huh. And so. Um, and you were just selling to family and friends. Family at and that friends. Point. Yep. So yep. how far into this did the two of you say this might actually be a business? We could maybe sell these to people we don't know. So that was actually way back um, around 2008 to 2010. And mm-hmm. what happened was our kids um, moved from uh, to the elementary level. And so my hours were the opposite of them. And so I needed to change my schedule. Um, and so I actually ended up leaving that high school schedule. And when I left there, sadly, um, the business just kind of went away. Um, a new teacher came in and they obviously did not want to run a business and teach seven classes. <laughs> and so sadly, it, it went away. And um, I always knew again, that I wanted to do this again, but I didn't know what that looked like. Mm-hmm. But I had to focus on my kids at the time. Sure. And so fast forward, um, two of my former students that baked with me at that high school reached out and said, hey, when can we bake with you again? Hmm. And I was, it was just a random night. And I remember looking at Kyle going, well, this is a random <laughs> request. <laughs> yeah. and, and he's like, well, you've always talked about this. He's like, I want to know more about this. Let's do it. Let's have him over. Mm-hmm. And so I like to tease him because Valentine's Day, Valentine's when we talk Day. about no plans, um, <laughs> what are we going to do? This amazing opportunity landed in my lap and the passion was there. The opportunity w- was there. I said, let's just fill our kitchen. With as many humans as possible. Let's do this. Let's see what this is all about. And I I think seeing not only the former students, but also Angie, our kids were there too. I think that's what's really cool about Mm -hmm. it is seeing everybody involved in it and what the opportunity meant. Mm -hmm. There was that spark. And I'm like, there's something bigger here. What else That night in your own kitchen on Valentine's Day. Just because you hadn't made a reservation at a fancy <laughs> restaurant, Kyle, right? Exactly. 100%. <laughs> so so you're, you're making these treats with friends, with former students, and you, th- and you think this is a business. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what happened is when they left that day, we had had so much fun. It was a blast. I dug out the old recipes. It was like getting back on a bike to cut the treats. Um, but I had noticed they had lost a lot of those reading, math, academic skills that we had worked so hard on. And they were now 22 and 23 years old. Neither one of them had a job. And I looked at Kyle and I'm like, they have so much potential. Mm. Like, we have to do something. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't know these guys for so long and now see them and not do something to change this. And, um, And so that's when, that's when we decided, okay, in June, 
we'll finish our teaching in the summer. We'll start this all up. Mm-hmm. And um, one of our friends had posted something on social media about us making these treats again. And March 17th, we decided we're going to do this. Wow. And we started Finley's. So it was twofold. It was the idea of the dog treats themselves, which obviously were good. I know my dog, Larry, likes them very <laughs> much. Thank you. Um, but also actually employing some of your own special needs students. Right, right. Okay. Yep. So how did you start? You decide you're going to go for it. What did you guys do first? So first was let's find a commissary kitchen. Which, you know, I think we looked high and low. Um, we heard multiple no's uh, mm-hmm. from different kitchens that, under you know, didn't quite understand the risk involved of employing with people with disabilities. And that for us was like, okay, again, we're on to something because there needs to be a greater conversation around inclusion. And, and it shouldn't be this big barrier to access. Uh, we got lucky. Uh, one kitchen just outside Chaska uh, let us rent their space and we started baking two nights a week. You know, after the school day, we'd fly home from work. We'd put some food in the crock pot for our human kids. We'd feed our fur baby Finley and head to the kitchen. So first you just you decide to go to the commissary kitchen. You start packaging, uh, you start making your dog treats and packaging them up. First step was to the, then did you immediately set up a, a website? Did you start selling online or was it just through markets? I mean, did you start going to stores and asking if they wanted them. Okay, so first we have to tell you the whole like the whole packaging and all of that stuff like that was all by hand all at our house like our dining room table right now still has divots in it because we had a sealer on our dining room table. So on top of baking all these treats at our house, we'd have some of our ambassadors come over, run these through the sealer and they'd sit at our dining room table mm-hmm. and seal the bags. And so yeah, we. I, I actually remember the first time I went into a Chuck and Don's, I had just these super simple bags, and I was totally naive thinking, oh, getting into Chuck and Don's, that would be a piece of cake. Sure. So <laughs> went in there, and I said, this is, you know, we're a local company, here's what we do. And of course, in, now that we know now, getting into retail, what that actually looks like and the steps that need to be um, taken, it's like, I don't know what I was thinking, but obviously we got a not yet at yeah. that moment. But yeah, not, we, not quite ready for prime time. Yep, yep. But, so, so, the, so the first place where you actually sold to the public was where? Online and then at local breweries and markets. We did a, a group, Dogs of MSP, which grew from 20 dogs uh, when it first started to you know 20,000 followers now today. And, and Jillian, who runs that, just did a phenomenal job of, of building a network of people and we would just sell at these events and it was just this hyper local organic meet the founders drink a beer meet our employees like it was just this really cool community mm-hmm. that really we started to just bring together and understand one we didn't know it at the time but that was like our test market mm-hmm. like like that was the best way to find out do we have something people want to buy multiple times not just buy once but do they come back are they passionate about what we're doing do they want to learn more. And I think that's really between the, the markets where we sold, but then also we offered our products online. And the two uniquely different challenges of selling at a market versus selling online and, and getting product to people's door um, when it's, they order online. It's, it's interesting that you started e-commerce so early. Why was that? Access. For us, it was with what was happening, how do we give people choice outside of these markets? Like, Friends of friends would hear about it, but they're in Wisconsin. They want they want to mm. buy the treats to support the business. How do we get them the products? So we had to set up something 
that would give people access, but it would also, what we found was our ambassadors, let's say they're not at the markets, they're passionate about the work they're doing, their family and friends in Florida or Colorado or California, they want access to the product, so online just made complete sense for us to just give people access and the choice of where to buy. Did you two bootstrap this at the beginning? How were you paying your former students and getting the ingredients and all that? Yep, we bootstrapped. Okay. <laughs> two teacher salaries. I, I think looking back on it now, that question, it's we were, ignorance was bliss. Mm-hmm. We just knew, let's sell enough treats at the market to pay the employees, uh, to pay for ingredients, just to make sure the, the basics were covered. And that, that, was, that worked. We also realized, too, with increased demand, we also were like, well, how much do we have saved up from being two teachers? Not a lot, but we're like, <laughs> you know what? We're going to go all in on this. Like, it's important to our ambassadors and to these people with disabilities in the community. We've started something. We can't look back. Let's go all in. You said ambassadors. That's what you call some of the, the students who work for you. Correct. Yep. Yep. So our first team of ambassadors that actually did the hand cutting with us were all my former students. Mm-hmm. So we had six of them that I had known some of them since elementary school. So it was like a family in our kitchen when we were hand cutting. So that was pretty cool. But yep, there are our ambassadors then and now. That's how their employees. Yep. In the early days, did you two seek advice from anyone? Did you go to any sort of like business programs? Did you have any mentors in the business world to say this is how to set up your website? This is how to do your LLC? Any of that? So yes and no. Um, yes, from the standpoint of I'll talk a lot about my family, my dad. So he's in the CPG game. He's been around. He calls himself one of the last dinosaurs in the brokerage business. But he, <laughs> he doesn't give himself enough credit because he modeled for me what it had to look like, what the grind looked like, what, what it looked like to struggle, what it looked like to go in and ask questions, what it looked like to hear no. Um, when we told him, hey, dad, we're, we're going to do this business. You could see the look in his eyes of like, of all the advice I could give my son, I want to support this, but, but this world is hard, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to see your kid fail. So he, he gave me some pointers and then eventually said, you know, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, well, I'm doing it no matter what. Angie and I are committed to this. We're all in. And he's like, okay, I can help connect you to the, some of the people to ask these questions. He's like, you may or may not be ready to hear what they're going to say. Being again, naive to it and being a teacher, we're like, you know what? What's, what's harder, working with these, these kids with high needs or hearing some older mentors give you some feedback that may or may not, you know, give or take um, if you want to use it. And I think what was interesting was one conversation led to another net, you know, connection and that led to another connection that led to, I know somebody that can help you here. And it just became this big snowball effect of our network grew so quickly where we're like, okay, we have the right mentors. We have the right people that are passionate about it. And one thing that came from it is many of the people we met with actually had kids with disabilities mm. that maybe had never talked about it in the business space. And we're like, why not? Mm-hmm. Let's have that conversation. If Finley's can be the platform for you to have conversations and make connections um, in the business world, can you consult with us and give us some advice on what we should do? And all these conversations led to learning about some of the bigger components of getting your product to shelf, all those things you think you know until you actually experience it. So whether that be manufacturers, whether that be distributors, retailers, and I got to give our retailers credit. So Lund's Byerly is one of our first retailers here in the Twin Cities. Their buyer sat down with us. 
and gave us really, really good, hard feedback saying, you're not ready today. This is why. This is what we want to see. And then we'll get behind you. And I think those conversations and those mentorships, to have those from the retailers, really set us up for success. What, what was the, the best feedback you got? I mean, was it about packaging? Was it about the product itself? I mean, do they have dog tasters at Byerly's? I, how does that work? In a way, it's kind of easier that you're doing a dog product, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say it's kind of a kind of a mix. Like, luckily for us, like the buyers loved our mission. And mm-hmm. so I would feel like the best part for us was they just really got behind what we were doing and they they just wanted to help us. And so, yeah, I would say the packaging was a was a big one. Like we had a lot of people say, um, love the colors, love everything, but you got to make your mission pop a little bit more. Or, mm. you know, we had a we had to go through a lot to get to where we are today for our packaging. And yeah. But we had to learn and people were we appreciated the fact that they were really honest. And even the, the people at the brewery is giving us their feedback about the treats like, is it the texture you didn't like? Is it the flavor? And we did. We learned so much. And I don't even think we realized how much we were learning in those times. How how long did that period get, you know, those early days kind of fine tuning it? How long did that take? So we we launched Finley's in in 2016 and we spent two and a half years, almost three years in the kitchen in, you know, at the breweries, the weekend warriors. Right. So you're at all the different events on the weekends. And I'll never forget in 2019, Angie, we're driving to the uh, kitchen. We're going to meet our ambassadors. Just picked up a cold brew number three of the day just to get through the day. And Angie turned to me and she goes, when can we be done with this part of the process? So Hmm. when can we move? the manufact, you know, when can we figure out how to produce these treats at at scale much more efficiently without the tendonitis, without the blisters? Because <laughs> you were literally you were, you were teaching all week and then literally making dog treats yeah. by hand. Yeah. And like for, for real, it started two nights a week. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were going in on weekends and Kyle's mom was literally raising our kids. Uh. Like she was doing the spelling tests. She was doing the state capitals. And as a mom, that was really, really hard. Yeah. And not to mention that, but we had, I mean, I had blisters. Kyle <laughs> had tennis elbow, you know, and we would stay late, send our ambassadors home and we'd stay late while they finished the baking process. And I was just feeling at that time as a mom, like, oh my gosh, I'm missing a lot with my kids. Mm-hmm. But I, I realize now my kids have this amazing relationship with their grandma. And I think they're actually seeing from a distance, hopefully us um, as role models for them of how to work hard oh, and how not sure. to give, give up. And Absolutely. So They absorb it even if they don't give you that feedback. Yes. So where along the journey did the Ashton Kutcher moment happen? Was that in those early days? What year was that? So that was late 2018. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is what pivoted us to baking more and more and then the late nights and, and the new packaging iterations and all of these bigger things you have to think about. We're employing people with disabilities to work the tables at these local markets. And that story in and of itself caught the attention of Ashton Kutcher and one of his editors. They have a a media outlet called A A Plus News. Mm -hmm. And the editor reached out and said, hey, love what you guys are doing. We want to learn more. Can we interview you? Sure. Do the interview. Unbeknownst to us that this actual interview goes to Ashton himself. That was, what, a Friday? So Saturday and Sunday mm-hmm. go by. Monday we show up. We're teaching in the classroom. My mom texts 
Ashton Kutcher's posting about you to social media. What what's going on? We got people <laughs> are talking about this and being the good teachers we are. The last thing you want to do in front of students is model bad behavior. Mm-hmm. So you can't just check your phone. You can't be on it. You want to be present for them. Boy, he said, "Hey guys, something's going on." Read this. Angie then texted, "What's going on?" <laughs> like, let's get through the school day. Get home. See that on his Facebook and Instagram, he had posted, uh, "Finley's is a business anyone can get behind." Mm-hmm. And naturally, you look at the back end of our our website and the orders, and we're like, "Okay, there's a lot going on here." And we had hundreds of email, um, you know, website contact form emails, people asking questions. And Angie looked at me and she's like, what are we going to do? Ashton, of all people, I mean, what a what a great celebrity. I mean, the, the power of celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. But but then on top of it, he has a twin brother yes. who has disabilities, right? Correct. Yep. So I'm sure it really resonated with him. And he's such an entrepreneurial guy. I mean, did you ever get to talk to him in all of it? Never no. him directly. It was always the editors um, and people around him. And I think there's such a compelling story there, though. When we think about the celebrity world, for him to take the time and energy into making our story a priority on his platform alone just speaks volumes to the person he is. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Um, so, uh, so you get to this point where your things are things are going okay. You're in some local grocery stores, and you've kind of figured out the packaging. Then what? What? How do you know when? Okay, I mean, are, are you bringing in enough cash that you can outsource the manufacturing? Or I mean, what was kind of the big moment when you said, "All right, time for time for the big leagues." So we had just landed Chuck and Don's as a partner. So Chuck and Don's, when they gave us the yes, we had to then go back and look at how do we produce this much product? How do we actually do this right? Do we have a product? Um, in the pet industry, there's so many regulations state by state. Are we checking all the boxes with what will protect the product? Because Chuck and Don's also has stores in Colorado um, and then also Kansas. And we were like, if we're going to do this, we want to do it right. So Chuck and Don's, what do you forecast? Give us some feedback on what do you expect to sell? Mm-hmm. They give you a forecast. And I looked at it and I go, there is no way we can physically do do this. So I asked them, what, when do we want to launch? They gave us a date. Say yes. Every entrepreneur, you're like, yes, sounds good. Let's do it. Let's launch on this date. Okay. That's three months out. Yeah. We can get treats. We can find a manufacturer. We can get packaging produced and we can get these treats manufactured in, in that amount of time. So I thought, right? You, you, think, you think positive. You have all these ideas of how this is going to work. You tell Chuck and Don's perfect. We'll have product ready. You line up a pet distributor that can service them. You get everybody on board. And then you go to the manufacturers and you say, I need you to produce these dog treats. What can you do for me? Well, why don't you meet our R&D team? We're on a six-month lead time from start to finish. (laughs) And I'm like, what's what's a lead time? What's an R&D team? I'm here to learn. Yeah. And and I think ultimately the manufacturer that we partnered with um, in 2019 to bring these products to Chuck and Don's they did a lot for us to understand, okay, Finley's built up a loyal fan base. They have products that their customers love. They can't change the ingredient formulations. It needs to be the exact same formulations, the same flavor profiles. And oh yeah, a, a technically one of the most trusted retailers in the Midwest wants their product. Okay, if we don't get this production run done, 
and Finley's doesn't meet the expectations of Chuck and Don's, Finley's won't be around. Mm-hmm. And so the coolest thing was this production team, the manufacturer got it done. Mm-hmm. Um, don't ask me how. There, it was many, many, many phone calls of back and forth, begging, pleading with their R&D team saying, we need to add a filler to these treats. Otherwise, when they go through the oven, this will happen. And us working with them saying, we don't want that. That's our product promise. We can't have fillers and ingredients that don't have any benefit in these treats. Mm-hmm. What can you do for us? And at the last, what I feel like was our, they were able to get the production run done, get the treats palletized, get them on a truck, get them to the distributor the next day from the distributor out to store. And it was like nobody on the outside had any idea how many gray hairs I had after that experience. <laughs> I bet. I bet you learned a lot. Now, one of the things that's so interesting, especially about a mission-driven company, is that as you get bigger, you sort of have to add layers that might move you away from that mission. So as you went to real manufacturers, what happened with your ambassadors? What about the students who were making the treats? Yep. So that's where we were like, okay, we need help. But what are we going to do for our team members? Because this is the reason we started this company. Right. And so the teacher in me was like, okay. This actually is awesome because I would not want them ever just stuck in a manufacturing facility. I want them out practicing those work skills, those communication skills. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to make them the face of our brand. And Mm. so at that time, when we started getting help with the treats, we now turned and our ambassadors now are the face of our business. They are the ones out in the stores. People don't want to meet Kyle and I. They want to meet our team. Mm -hmm. And so it's really awesome because they go out. They do the store demos in a Lunds by Early's or a local grocery store. They run the tables at the local events. We wanted them out. And so to be really honest, I was excited about that switch because it was like, oh, my gosh, this can provide so many jobs as we grow. And to this day, it just keeps growing. And the more that we can grow our store amount, the more jobs we can provide. How many ambassadors do you have right now? Right now in Minnesota, we have 30. And we just are launching some teams now down in Dallas. Okay. I want to talk about what happened this past year when you could no longer do demos in grocery stores. But before we do that, tell how you figured out the right balance of you're selling dog treats. That's got to be compelling, right? And you got to have packaging that's going to attract a customer who's just looking for the best treat on the shelf. But then you want to add in this education piece and have them understand what it means when they buy your brand, who they're helping. How do you find the right? That's a lot of information to Mm -hmm. put on a bag of dog treats. How do you figure that out? Well, we had to go through a lot of iterations on our packaging and we had to learn and we had to just really think about how are we going to do that? And in comes Ultra Creative, who we work with for our packaging. And we were very fortunate to find them. We sat down with them. We told them about our mission. And they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, feel good, do good. And, and I think what's cool, too, is when our when our bags of treats are tipped over, there's a special little message on the bottom of the bag. And it's treat with kindness. And I think when we look at what we started out and what we wanted for this company, it was that for people through their pets, pets bring us joy. They also, pets teach us to take a you know, deep breath. And it's like, who doesn't want more kindness in the world? <laughs> and, and I think there's so many layers to it where for our customers and what we really want them to see too is 
when they pick up and engage with the bag of treats from the, you know, the nutritional benefit side, the flavor side, hey, my dog loves these treats. And oh, by the way, it has this amazing emission. So at the end of 2019, were you profitable? Almost. Uh, it was close. We were still losing money. Um, we knew at the end of 2019, what we had to think about too was some of the data points we were getting from the stores we were in led to some new opportunities and conversations for partners to launch in 2020. And we knew if we could get to scale that there was profitability ahead. We had started to raise money at the end of 2019 to get ready for these huge launches. Um, you know, regional pet distributors on the West Coast. We had all these partnerships that we were ready to launch. We were raising money um, to lead into 2020 because we knew, okay, we have to get to scale. We have to, you know, at the time we were producing minimum runs with the manufacturers. We were doing everything possible to get the data we needed to then get the bigger partnerships that would let us be profitable in the year ahead. How much money did you raise? So we raised $670,000. And was that friends and family? Was that angels? How'd you do it? So we did it through friends and family and angels. I, th I think what's really cool in the Twin Cities here, and, and as we raised money, it was a roller coaster. I mean, anyone that's raised money before knows there's ups and downs. And you meet people then that may not be interested, but they know somebody. And a lot of it came from people that had kids with disabilities hmm. that have been in the space, maybe started their own company. They understood the grind. They understood the opportunity. And going into 2020 with the retailers we were getting ready to launch, they, they recognized it's not just two people can't continue to grow this company. It's going to need money. It's going to need larger production runs. You're going to need more dis distribution points, and you're going to need more people to help grow this. And I, I think what was exciting for us is when we closed the round, we were like, boom, let, we're ready to go. This felt cloud nine, yeah. 20, and everybody knows how 2020 was. When we get back, how Finley's pivoted to meet growing online demand during the pandemic. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www.platinumbankmn.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. Well, as you heard, 2020 was always intended to be a big year for Finley's, and it was just not at all the way Kyle and Angie expected. Take a listen. So we said, you know what? Seattle's going to be our, our first home run of 2020. And so you picked the city where COVID <laughs> took off first. Yes. That, I don't that, mean to laugh. That, it's, it's too soon. It All was, you can do. Right. I mean, it's one of those <sighs> things now you look at, and like any business, you put this amazing plan together. You, we had so many passionate stakeholders behind the company. One of the hard parts for Angie was you, you build up this opportunity for people with disabilities. And when you, when you make a promise or you at least commit to somebody, this is the opportunity we're going to give you. And then to get the call from the distributor saying, we're, we're shut down. Mm -hmm. Seattle's done. Well, what about San Francisco? That was another region, uh, Northern Cal. What about that? Give us a week. A week later, San Francisco shuts down. Sure. It was this domino effect across the industry where it wasn't there was the business side that was going to be impacted, but also the people side. Yeah. And that was one of the scariest things I think we ever 
had to go through and deal with was because you had passionate people that got behind Finley's. They put money in. You want to you wanna deliver on a promise that you made to them, but you also made a promise to people. And I think that's one of the things that 2020, if there's any positives that came out of it, was there was no playbook. Nobody had a playbook. Nobody knew what to do. We all had to learn together. We had to go to our retailers and say, hey, what can we do throughout this? Online ended up becoming a huge opportunity for us. So you had all this product ready to go because you were ready for this big launch in a new region of the country. And the product, I assume, has a shelf life, right? You can't just put it away for a year. Correct. Yeah, it had an 18-month shelf life, produced this product. Distributors, warehouses, they don't want to sit on product. They love when product comes in and it goes out. And we were like, okay, we went from, we shipped our first pallet ever in 2018 out of our garage. In a a blizzard. In a blizzard. (laughs) Of course. To, well, we have 36 pallets of dog treats. How many is that? That's a lot. Where are we going to move that? Who who can help? Because mm-hmm. access to product had taken a hit. So you're you're dealing with this for the first time, and and it's a pandemic, and no one knows what's going on. Who did you call first? Was it Chewy? Actually, Chewy came to us. Mm-hmm. I, I think we got really lucky with the mission, with what was happening, all the buildup, kind of that FOMO. So Chewy actually. Got a hold of us. Chewy.com, Chewy.com. is a big uh, online store for pet products. They, they are, if not the biggest, um, other than Amazon, one of the biggest platforms for pet products. Massive opportunity. And I remember that buyer, it was the weirdest, but yet easiest 15-minute phone call. It was like no pitching. She knew what she needed to know. She knew Ashton Kutcher had previously posted about it. <laughs> and she said, how soon can you ship me product? And I think that for us was that you know, light bulb moment of, okay, this is a big opportunity. Let's use this. Let's leverage this. Let's get product to Chewy and let's let's see if we can move it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I mean, it couldn't be better timing for e-commerce because that went through the roof. People are at home and those who had been shopping in stores for pet treats, suddenly they're ordering online. It was wonderful. I think we looked at, we put, sent product to Chewy's warehouses. They launched it. 48 hours later, there was no product in their warehouses. And their supply chain, being a small company, there was a lot of volatility in, in forecasting. And even Chewy didn't, and this just wasn't a Finley's thing. It was across the board. Mm-hmm. Brands were just selling out. And they called us and said, guys, again, how fast can you get us more product? Because our forecasts are obviously wrong. We need to pick up more product as fast as possible. And I said, well, lucky for us, we have plenty to send you. So let's <laughs> let's go. Let's do it. Let's send you what we can. And it just slowly became this ramp. And six weeks after um, Chewy got launched and we were having some initial success there, we were fortunate to have the conversation with Target. Uh-huh. And, and Target, obviously, throughout the pandemic, understood how to support their brands. And the buyer at Target said, we don't do a, an in-store reset until the following year but seeing what's happening on Chewy and knowing what this opportunity means for people with disabilities, how soon can we launch on Target.com? I said, well, how soon do you guys want to put in a PO? Let's do it. <laughs> and, and so you launched there and had similar success. It took off right away. We did. We did. And I think that for us, it was all these data points. When you're in the weeds, you just want to get people product. You want to take care of the people around you. But we were having this initial success that ultimately for us, it was made the much easier end of year buyer meeting to say, hey, can we get some in store? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so where are you now? You've you've been so now you're sold through these major channels, and we also should say on top of everybody shopping online, everybody adopted a dog in 2020. <laughs> yes, that massive was awesome. boom, and I think was something we probably should talk about too. Was we were so we started Finley's. We had four classic biscuits. Mm-hmm. 2020 again, we had raised money. We're going to launch this new new product line, Trainer Bites. Soft chew, three calories or less. No idea that all these dogs were A, going to get adopted and then spend time with you on Zoom at home. <laughs> and the number one thing people wanted was just the dog off their lap. They wanted something easy to treat their dog with that would just kind of help them be well-behaved. You're so right. <laughs> so our Trainer Bite line actually started to, online, started to outsell and, out, um, and outperform the biscuits. And it just became this you know, inferno of opportunity where we're like, okay, well, let's, again, let's produce more trainer bites. Can our manufacturers keep up? And then everybody's like, well, how do we get these? How do we get these? And <laughs> the things that madness. happen in a pandemic. All right. right. So by the end of 2020, where did you stand? Were you, I mean, did you end up having a bigger year than you would have expected? Different than what you thought, but better? So I would say this. The first six months of 2020 were, were a challenge, major challenge. When Once Chewy and Target got going online later in the year, we started to see the ramp that we had anticipated seeing. Another channel, too, that people were shopping was Amazon. And I think Amazon also, again, gave us great data points to say, how do we leverage what's happening here for 2020 knowing the first six months were ugly. It was. There was a lot of conversation about how do we how do we fix this? And the beauty was there was no playbook to fix it. So it was a lot of trial and error. And I think when we looked at the end of 2020, we landed another major grocery partnership. Um, they put in their POs in December. We had told them from a forecasting standpoint, uh, we needed to know July, August, or September what you guys were going to purchase, what your POs were going to be. By, by the way, POs, purchase order. Big purchase orders. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Purchase for, orders. Just for those who might not know. Yeah, for purchase sure. Purchase orders. And, and you learn, I learn all this lingo, right? We used to be teachers. <laughs> and we speak this weird yeah, language. Yeah, listen to you now. now. And it's it's one of those things where our kids look at us and they're like, what are you talking what are you about? Saying? <laughs> and, and I have to always remember that because what, what happened, though, at the end of 2020 was we got some bigger POs. We were awarded a test with Target. All in of these, store. In store, mm-hmm. yep, to launch in, in 2021 here. And one of the cool things was, naturally, the position we're in, obviously our stakeholders, our board of directors, everybody loved the momentum we were gaining. And they said, well, can we produce the product to turn it around to ship? And I think it was like four weeks. Here we go. Let's call the manufacturers. <laughs> hey, guys, remember we said this could happen? It's happening. Mm-hmm. And they just said, you know what? We'll figure it out. Like this is, we know a lot of companies throughout 2020 that are ending the year shut down. Mm-hmm. And Finley's is in a position where we have these opportunities. We got the purchase orders in hand. The timelines were were tight, but everybody really stepped up and got it done. And mm-hmm. we, today we have some product on target shelves and That's we still amazing. pinch ourselves. Naturally, what happens when you exceed expectations at a, a, a trusted retailer other retailers start calling and saying, how fast can, can we get your products? And we're in that position now where these are good problems. And we're saying to people, you know, it, we can launch you in three months, six mm-hmm. months, but it's, we can't launch everybody at once. But are you saying yes to everyone or do you have no. standards for that? No. Um, you know, 2020 taught us 
you can't say yes to everybody. I, I think the 2016 through 2019, I would have said yes to everybody because we didn't know any better. We wanted product to reach mm-hmm. customers right. to support the mission. One thing we learned through 2020 was, are these channels profitable? Are, do they support the mission? Mm. How do they support the mission? How are they willing to give us resources we typically wouldn't have? So slotting fees, all of these big things that you have to pay to put your product on shelf. Can we even afford to do that? And if we can't, what are we asking back of these retailers? And I'd say Safeway Albertsons is, a, is an awesome example. They were a partner that came on board towards the end of 2020, launched in 2021. Same thing. We said, we love your mission. We absolutely want to get behind this. Do you have the resources to do this? Mm-hmm. And the honest conversation was, no, we don't. But what, what can we do together? This is what we believe in. You guys want to also believe in inclusion. How can we work together? Mm-hmm. And, and we've really seen a beautiful mess of opportunity come together where retailers will say, instead of slotting fees, what if we contributed these dollars to the mission? Hmm. Boom. Mm-hmm. That's what we stand for. That's what we love. That's what we want to happen. Amazing. So, so back to that mission, a lot of your, um, your employees were working on the front lines and then that was all shut down. No, no grocery stores were doing demos for most of 2020. So what did you do and what are those ambassadors doing now? Yeah, so I was pretty worried for a while because I thought, oh man, I kept hearing how so many people were feeling isolated. And I was, I looked at Kyle and I'm like, we have to figure something out. And so um, what we did to begin with is I started um, doing weekly hangouts with our ambassadors. So um, a couple times a week, every week we hop on with our entire team. And one thing that's been so awesome is I've been able to bring all of our ambassadors together, which has never happened before because we had our, you know, our team that was doing the cutting and then we have the team, they're all spread out kind of all over the Twin Cities Mm -hmm. and Zoom and these hangouts have allowed us all to come together. And so we do the hangouts. Uh, We also hired the bloggers for our website. Um, And then probably my favorite story of the whole 2020 is Um, you know, I was sitting in the basement in our headquarters and one day I was like, okay, we have all these, we have Lund's Byerly's, we we're in Kowalski's, we're in these co-ops and I'm like, we aren't in Hy-Vee. How are we going to get into (laughs) Hy-Vee? And corporate had told us two years in a row we weren't ready. And I'm, I looked at Kyle and I'm like, we're going to Hy-Vee. And so, do you just like Hy-Vee? Is that where you shop? <laughs> we weren't there, and I was like, "How do we get it?" Okay, good enough. <laughs> and so, I called up one of our ambassadors. Her name is Camille. She has an intellectual disability. She's very high fa- functioning and fun. And I just, I knew I needed to do something with her. And uh-huh. I'm like, Camille, do you want to hit the ground with me and let's go into these Hy-Vee stores and let's see what we can do? So we set it up that every Tuesday, Camille and I would plan out our route. And we'd go into these high V stores and, um, you know, we'd tell them about Finley's and Camille would share why our mission is important to her and what she does and uses the um, trainers for with her dogs for agility. And we'd just talk to these managers. And I have to give them credit because every single time that we would go into a high V store, every single one of those managers stopped what they were doing, took the time for us, Hmm. took time for Camille and just listened. That's so nice. Yeah. And it was so great because we'd walk out of each of those stores. Just I was so thankful that they did that. And she was so proud. And we ended up being able to get six of the local stores to take our treats in. Uh 
and which ultimately led to now a call with corporate and now we're going into all doors um in quarter three and so i guess you were right (laughs) wow so that's i mean just to see to be able to send camille that message like look what your hard work did you were in sales with me we just went out and got it done and just to see her confidence just yeah um has just been so awesome so that's amazing so goals for 2021 big I think one of the cool things with what's happening is, and Ange mentioned this, so hy V is going to be a big partner coming on board too. We're launching Petco in a little bit. It's one of those things where we had to really focus on a few strategic partners to launch this year, knowing the online growth was through the roof. And we've just really leaned into what's working really well. Let's go all in on that. Let's also scale the ambassador side. I think what's cool is uh, Texas will be a huge market for us. Um, we're in a 148 Safeway Albertson stores down there, and there's multiple people with disabilities getting teed up, ready to go out to do the demos, which thankfully with vaccinations, things are opening back up again. There's just so much positivity and joy that's going to be spread down in Texas. And we're going to scale that um, next to California's another market for us where we're going to go kind of region by region with the right retail partners uh, and continue the revenue growth and just really focus on our people. And I think internally, naturally, you have growing pains. So we're hiring people to help us manage that business. And we've just been so fortunate to find the right people to help learn and grow with us. And we say, who wants to come on a journey for people and pets? That's just the the best journey on earth. (laughs) People and pets. I love it. Um, What would you tell other employers about thinking more inclusively about hiring? I think one thing that... um we focus on is making sure that you're actually asking your employees what is it that they need. I think that's a huge struggle and people forget that they want to be able to tell you what their needs are. And it it doesn't feel good to just have somebody assume that they know what you need. Mm-hmm. And so that was um, a huge part of we presented at Target Corporate. And, and that was one thing we really we really wanted to get across was Just ask them. It's okay to ask them, what are your needs? What can we do to make this better for you? Um, And just, you know, to give them an opportunity, they have so much potential. And sometimes, you know, you may not be able to see what that potential is until you give them a chance. And you'll be surprised at what they're able to do for you. And they're always willing to work so hard. And they're always so happy. And they'll, they'll be the light of your organization. Yeah, for sure. You also donate money in addition to hiring uh, your your staff based on needs and inclusivity. Where do you where do you donate? Yeah, so that was something we learned. It's not you can employ people with disabilities, but there's so many other barriers to employment that stand in the way. So transportation, job coaching. Um, there's a ton of amazing nonprofits that do this work that rely on government assistance or money coming in through donation to support how our ambassadors get to the workplace. So that was for us a pillar where we said, we want to give back to that as well. Like if if these people need access to employment, it looks different. We take for granted how easy it is for us to get in the car and just go to work. Mm -hmm. And they don't have that opportunity. They might need, you know, money for Metro Mobility or the job coach itself. And it's like, how can we give back to those other barriers, not just an hourly wage or a salary, 
what else do they need? And I think that for us is what we learned starting in really 2019 and when we pivoted to also focus on the profit sharing of, okay, we can't just employ them. They need so much more and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like let's build a model that can support that. And let's also, let's leverage our retailers, like Safeway Albertson, same type of thing. How can we also give to the organizations that we're pulling in these employees from? Because there's a lot more to it. So when I buy a bag of Finley's biscuits, I can know that my money is doing what? It's not only supporting the people within our organization, but it's also going back to how to create access to employment. Yeah. And there's an educational component to what we're doing. And that's also really big because that's our job to communicate and be the advocate for how much bigger employment for pe- people with disabilities really is. And, and to the consumer, when you buy this bag of treats, did you know that we had to give to the transportation, to the job coach, to the organization. Like there's all these things that go into it. That's what we want to be the platform. Good thing you're teachers. You can can teach (laughs) people. We'll never get out of the, you know, it's always a classroom. And I always say like sometimes working with partner, you know, vendor partners, it's like being back in the classroom. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and that's, I'm like, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in in the way that we're all trying to be better. We are. You always assume positive intent. And a lot of people don't know how to hire people mm-hmm. with disabilities, or they don't understand how complex the mission is. They want to produce product and get it to shelf. Mm-hmm. But guess what? If you do that with a company like ours, you can actually change more lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Can you believe you're doing this? Can you believe your founders, your entrepreneurs? Oh, my gosh. I, I actually told Kyle a couple of weeks ago, like, it, it, I started crying again <laughs> in the car. And to, for me to just think back, it, it was another time we had told our story. And for me to think back to when I was doing something similar in a classroom to even fathom that I would be here with him and having the company grow like it is, like, it just, it blows me away because, you know, you want to make a difference so badly. And to be able to see now our expansion into Texas and things like that, like, even two years ago, that felt so far away. Mm -hmm. And it's so fun now to actually see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would add to that too. Like from my vantage point, looking into all this, it's like what you think you know about where your life is going to go and how it's all going to work. And if you just embrace the fact that all we've done is just continued to learn. And I think Mm -hmm. that's both a passion of ours. And a lot of what we've had to do is just learning along the way. And I think that's okay. And I I sit here now and I go, how was I ever a teacher? Because (laughs) I I love this. This is still the platform to go out and and educate, but on on a much different and greater scale that still serves people. And I'm like, kids in the classroom, the teachers are amazing. They'll be fine. Who's there for them when they graduate? Mm, Good question. Well, it's super inspiring. It's great what you're doing. And the dogs love the treats. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, thank you. That's what, that's what we <laughs> like to hear, right? Gotta have a good right? product you, at the end of the day. You, you yes. do. And I, I think that's a, what we learned is always, too, like you can't back up a mission like ours with a product that people, you know, pets don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that for us has been always top of mind. And, and we're just so thrilled with how not only customers have responded to it, but the pets. I mean, it's yep. just the coolest thing where our dog, Finley, little pocket shepherd, <laughs> She is living the dream. Yes, she um, is. <laughs> I don't think there's, there's a, well, obviously for us, she's chief taste officer, CTO, yeah. but it's one of those things where we're like, if we wouldn't feed it to Finley, 
Um, and she has a lot of sensitivities. So if we wouldn't feed it to her and she wouldn't respond well to it, we're not going to deliver that to our customers. Right. Kyle and Angie, it's such an inspiring story. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thanks for all the work you're doing. And uh, hopefully it'll inspire others to get involved and, and think about how they could bake in this kind of mission to their company. Awesome. Well, thank it. you so much for having yeah, us. Thank you. Absolutely. You can't help but root for Kyle and Angie and for Finley's as they continue to grow and scale their operation. But really, at the heart of it, it's not just a business, but this is a a meaningful endeavor, and it makes us question, what is the meaning of work? For some perspective on that, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, where John McVeigh is an associate professor. John, thanks for joining us. Really curious what you thought hearing the Finley's story. Thanks. Uh, What I love about this story is that we can have so much to learn uh, about the meaning of work um, from a group who uh, is is often excluded from work, from people who often don't have that, um, that, that, the luxury we have. Uh, And it really challenges a couple of things. We've got this old story that grew up in the last, you know, century or so about work and leisure Mm -hmm. you know work you work to earn you earn a living Mm -hmm. and then there's leisure which makes an escape right you escape all the drudgery of work and the pain of work so work becomes this unpleasant thing about efficiency and competition and survival and then to recover from that we go to leisure where we just you know kick back relax and escape and spend money on frivolous stuff Mm -hmm. Except most of us spend most of our time working. Well, exactly. And then we, we're so tired, we spend our stuff, our, our earnings on even ever more frivolous um, relaxations just because we have so little time. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a much older idea, you know, which is really that work is really about learning. Hmm. And it's how we continuously learn through our lives. And leisure is really an opportunity for us to reflect on what sort of person we're becoming. Hmm. And that really comes back to sort of old-fashioned ideas like, you know, callings mm-hmm. or careers of conviction or the, the fact that work, work has a purpose. And, you know, this can sound all fancy down stuff for highfalutin millionaires. So you could see Oprah Winfrey perhaps sitting around discussing the meaning of her work and how <laughs> it's learning and, and reflecting on, on what sort of person she's becoming. What I love about this case is we see people who are at the other end of the spectrum, where it becomes absolutely clear what the true meaning of work is, which means for people who are excluded from our workforce, they don't have the opportunity to continuously learn and progress. Hmm. And when we're not learning and progressing, it's hard for us to think of ourselves and reflect on ourselves as being full citizens and being fully human and fully flourishing. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what we start to see, I see in this Finley's case, is this work is not just busy stuff to keep people on the straight and narrow. And it's not just a way of raising money that we can use for good purposes, but the actual act and the, 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 the sort of process of becoming a professional working person is what transforms us into fully fully human beings. Right. And that's what's inspiring in this case.
they are empowering a whole group of people who, I mean, hearing them talk about their students who couldn't find employment and they're doing something that actually is a product that lots and lots of people really love. And of course, their dogs really love at this point, too. So it, so it feels really productive. And I can't even imagine how meaningful that work then is to Kyle and Angie. I mean, wh- what a way to take their background in education and, and put it to use for good. Absolutely. And it's a truly entrepreneurial story. Like we talk in this show many times, this idea of emergent strategies where they start with a very fuzzy idea and it emerges only through action and trial and error. That story's still here. Mm-hmm. But what's more, more important is how this, what this has taught them about the value of work itself um, to other human beings. And that, you know, for the, for the people who are employed, I, I love the bit where they say, how do we do this better? That people being included in the workforce is not an act of charity. Mm-hmm. This, this, is, this is all our rights as citizens to, to have the right to work for a living. And what we have to do is ask people, how could we make this work for you? Hmm. Yep. What are you capable of? What would stretch you? What would help you? And they will tell us themselves what they want to do and what they need to do in order to grow. Right. Um, so, so I thought that was also really important yeah. that it wasn't the case of, oh, can we find some busy work for people who can't contribute any other way Right. was to start with the skills that these people have and say, what would we have to do to help you grow and to help you become a, a bigger uh, contributor so that you can then reflect back on the career that you want to have and the the working person you want to become. So it's a fabulous story. It is, and it brings so much value to the employers. Well, I can't imagine a better takeaway. Thank you, John McVeigh, as always, for providing that perspective. And thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about the show, you can go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks so much for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.